I'm Denise. She's a non-fiction editor. And I'm Louise. She's a fiction editor. And together, we're the Editing Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the Editing Podcast. So this week, we're following up with six more things that you need to know if you're deciding whether to embark on a proofreading as a career. Yeah, so this time around, we're looking at one, how it requires a lot of hard work to build and sustain a proofreading business. Two, while having, why having periods of no work isn't something you have to accept as a given. And three, why grammar and spell checking technology hasn't made proofreaders redundant. Ooh. And then we'll talk about number four, how it's a myth that all proofreading work is done in-house. Five, after that, we'll look at how proofreading means the different things to different client types. And six, we'll wrap up with a discussion about word of mouth and whether that alone is a good enough promotional strategy. So let's kick off with how uh, it takes a lot of hard work to build and sustain a proofreading business. That's someone something anyone contemplating doing this needs to understand from the get-go and the key word here is business yeah running a business isn't easy because we have to do we have to be so much more than proofreaders we're the ceo the accountant the marketing director training manager and human resource executive the work also demands extremely high levels of concentration, which is tiring, and it can mm. be stressful too. Proofreaders who don't meet their deadlines or don't fulfil their existing clients' briefs don't retain those clients. And if you can't keep your clients, you have to continually source new income streams. It's either that or become an ex-proofreader. Mm. So be prepared to wear multiple hats and work hard. So this next issue is interesting, Louise. How many times do we hear people saying, that there will be times when you have no work, no matter how experienced you are. A lot. And I think it's a problem because it normalises it. It is a problem for some editorial professionals, but I think it's a myth that feast or famine is the name of the game and always will be. I'm just not convinced that it has to be like that in the medium and long terms. Me neither. If you make yourself interesting and discoverable online and off, you can market yourself into a position where you have as much work as you want if your work is of excellent quality, you'll be offered repeat projects from satisfied clients, meaning you need to do less of the being found work. Yeah. So ultimately, it's about acquisition and retention. And yes, marketing, whatever strategy you use, is hard work, but it's part of being a freelance proofreader. And if you commit to a strategy that works for you, you can ensure the cupboard is as full as you want it to be. Yeah, yeah. So another thing any new proofreader needs to know is that while there are a few quite well-known grammar and spell checking tools in the market, this technology hasn't made professional proofreading a redundant activity. Yeah, again, that's a myth that I think has abounded more outside the professional editing community. And it's a bit bizarre. It's like saying that trains, bicycle, planes and wheelchairs and legs are redundant because someone invented the car. <laughs> <laughs> Is that another one? Is that a bit like in, in the last episode, my my um uh, Bank of England? Your Bank of England one thing. Yeah, Louise's analogies. I'm going to write a book on them, I think. Uh, so, what, what you call mixing your metaphors? In yeah, some. taking them a big Kenwood's hand yeah. mixer to them. I don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, yeah, exactly. Though I do agree with you, and that's because. First of all, proofreading isn't about only grammar and spelling, and that's something that people don't always appreciate from outside of the profession. Mm. 
And there's no software in the market that can run through a piece of text such that by the time it's finished, that text is publishable. Software can't spot a widow or an orphan or a heading at the wrong level or non-aligned decimal points or missing page numbers or repeated text in chapters. Yeah, and it won't spot the fact that the thriller you're reading has three characters called Stan, that Stan 1 went to Portsmouth University in Chapter 3, but Plymouth by Chapter 10, <laughs> or that a, that a family with two daughters and two sons in Chapter 5 has three daughters and one son by Chapter 48. These are problems that professional proofreaders and editors frequently encounter. That's some book. <laughs> no, it was written by the Governor of the Bank of England. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so... But let's not forget that from his car, from his car. Right, you stop that harm. Okay, <laughs> back focus. Right. So let's not forget, technology doesn't always get the spelling and grammar right, and these softwares are not foolproof. What they're great at doing is flagging up potential issues so that a human can make logical editorial decisions based on skill, knowledge style preferences and industry recognized best practice and there are some great tools out there and many professional proofreaders and editors use them but using them is about complementing the work done by the brain and eyes not replacing it yeah definitely so another thing you need to know is that not all proofreading work is done in-house and that's another myth that tends to get traction in communities that aren't as familiar with the market as they think they are and it shows quite a severe misunderstanding of what's available. Yeah, so let's look at the larger mainstream traditional publishers, for example. They rarely employ in-house proofreaders these days, though they do employ in-house commissioning editors, editorial production managers, and sometimes project managers. Smaller presses often have to do more work in-house, though, so it really does vary from press to press. Yeah, absolutely. And when it comes to in-house for the self-publisher, that could mean a friend, a partner, or a sibling sitting in a kitchen or a home office. Thousands of independent writers have recognised that this just isn't cutting the mustard, and that's where we come in. That's right. So <clears throat> most businesses, charities, schools, NGOs, marketing and comms agencies, packages and public sector bodies do, do not have in-house professional proofreading departments. Some do, but I suspect it's rare. Yeah. And that means that professional self-employed proofreaders have an opportunity as long as they're visible to those clients which slips us nicely into our penultimate <laughs> tip. Proofreading doesn't mean the same thing to all client types. And it's really important to understand that if you're new to the field or if you're thinking about entering it. That's so true. Even pure proofreading isn't just about spotting typos. It's about sense and artistry too. It's about knowing when to intervene as well as when to leave well enough alone. And even more important, a publisher's proofreading remit rarely looks the same as an indie author's. And what you do with a PhD thesis, an annual business report, a journal article or a crime thriller might be four very, very different things, depending on your brief and the extent of any editing that's already been done. Yeah, in reality, the definition of proofreading is actually rather tangled, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah. So our final tip is to consider the concept of word of mouth carefully if people are telling you what a great marketing strategy it is. Now it is, but it presupposes that word of mouth is a marketing strategy. It's not. It's certainly one way that clients may come to you, and I am absolutely not knocking it. Referral networks can be brilliant for professional proofreaders and can even earn income for the referrer in certain cases. 
Yeah, but if you're a new entrant to the field, you're unlikely to have a big enough network of clients dropping enough work in your lap to have the luxury of being that passive about getting work. New entrants need to commit to making themselves visible one way or another. There's just too much competition not to. Yeah. So that's it. In the past two episodes, we've given you a whistle-stop tour of 12 things you need to know if you're going to be a professional proofreader. So let's round up some final all-round advice. Idea. So if you're considering becoming a freelance proofreader, think carefully about the blend of skill and visibility required. If you're invisible, no one will be able to hire you. But if you're incompetent, no one will want to hire you or retain you. So build marketing and training into your proofreading business. Yeah. So being a professional proofreader means a pro- being a professional business owner. Professional business owners start with a business plan. So identify your target clients, understand what their problems are, and then work out what skills you need to solve those problems. Then identify the tools you need to do the job, such as any relevant equipment and software, and then decide how you'll make your skills visible. You'll also need to work out what you need and want to earn. And doing that will help you set your service fees appropriately. So that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you so much for listening to us again. If you'd like to help support the Essing Podcast, you can join our Patreon community for as little as £3 a month. We'd love to have you on board. So if you're interested, hop over to patreon.com forward slash editing podcast. We'll pop a link in the show notes for you. But now she's been Denise. And she's been Louise. Join us again next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.